The case I will be discussing today involves sexual assault and crimes against a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 35. Today I will be talking about the abduction and murder of Tori Stafford. My sources for today's episode are Crime Beat, Tori Stafford, Never Forget, Parts 1 and 2, Wikipedia, My Crime Library, TheStar.com, and GlobalNews.ca. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in the show notes. It's a parent's nightmare. Your eight-year-old daughter doesn't come home from school. This isn't what happens to our kids. Like, where is my daughter? Something was off. Something was wrong. How a community is brought together as suspicions and stigma threaten to tear it apart. It's a small community, and then when you're involved in drugs, it's an even smaller community. We knew that a female had taken Victoria seemingly willingly. Who was it first off? Like, who was she with? Why is Tori walking with her? We never believed that the investigation was going to ramp up to what it eventually did, one of the largest police investigations in Ontario's history, if not the country's. Today's case takes us to Woodstock, Ontario, a small town about 128 kilometers or 79 miles from Toronto. Victoria Elizabeth Marie Stafford was born on July 15, 2000. She was known as Tori, so for the rest of the case, I'll be referring to her as that. Tori was born to Rodney Stafford and Tara McDonald. Her parents separated when she was around two years old, and she and her brother Darren lived with their mom most of the time. Tori was described as a firecracker. She loved to laugh, giggle, and she was feisty. She also loved animals and was a very caring little girl. On April 8, 2009, Tori left the Oliver Stevens Public School around 3.30 p.m. When Tori never came home from school that day, Ronnie and Tara called family members and friends to see if Tori had lost track of time and was with them. No one had seen her. Tori was reported missing around 6.04 p.m., and an Amber Alert was not issued because it didn't meet the criteria. The next day, April 9th, a large search, one of the largest in Canada, began. Police, off-duty police, firefighters, and helicopters were out searching for Tori. The police also obtained surveillance footage from around the area where Tori disappeared. The police caught their first break when Tori is seen at 3.32 p.m. walking with a female. The female was described as short, around 5'2", around 19 to 25 years old, with dark hair. The police made an appeal to the public for anyone to come forward. Rumors and theories spread around the small town, and suspicions and suspicions fell on Tara, Tori's mom. I just want everybody to continue your prayers and keep looking and don't give up because we're not going to give up for a second until she's home safe. She can find a phone, a window, anywhere, any way that she can get back to us, if she can call, if she can get away just to fight to come home. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? in for a sec? Police tracked down every lead, followed every tip. But still, nothing. My nerves are shot, and I can't handle much more. There's a search party being organized at the Zellers parking lot. People gave me grief because I didn't go out looking for her. When it came to looking for her, and like Roddy would go out and, and go on searches, and I said, like, I cannot do that. I can't, and it's not because I don't want to. It's because I can't imagine if I were to find her. People in the small community suggested that Tara was the woman in the video, and it didn't help that Ronnie and Tara often fought during press conferences. 
In one particular video, Ronnie can be heard telling Tara that it doesn't seem like she cares about her missing daughter. Do you what, think, Ronnie, what, I'm not going to stand here and fight with you about it, okay? You are showing a total lack of support, or support for your daughter? You know no. what? You want to talk about a lack of support no. for my daughter? Where the hell were you for the last nine years? Tara was struggling a lot. Not only was her daughter missing, but she was addicted to Oxycontin. Many people said that Tori disappeared because of a drug debt that Tara and her boyfriend James were unable to pay. Tara said the police even told her that she was their prime suspect, but that was all going to change when the police learned the horrific truth about what happened to Tori. Many tips came in about, a, about the woman in the video. One friend told Tara that it looked like 18-year-old Terry Lynn McClintock. Terry and Terry, Tara and Terry Lynn weren't friends, but they did know each other. James had bought pills from Terry Lynn's mom. Terry Lynn was arrested on April 12, 2009 on an unrelated charge. She denied her involvement. While Terry Lynn was in custody, she was often visited by her boyfriend, Michael Rafferty. They can be seen on surveillance footage, hugging and talking. However, when Michael was questioned, he claimed their relationship wasn't serious. Like, would you consider her your girlfriend or? My girlfriend? Yeah. No. 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 Like, is there, has there been anything between you and Terry Lynn uh, intimately at all? We're friends. Just friends? Okay. So. Have you watched the video? Yeah, I saw on, it. Okay. okay. Did you, what did you think watching that video? Okay. Did you recognize anyone at all? Um, no, I didn't recognize anyone. No. Have you ever observed uh, Terry Lynn wearing any type of uh, certain jackets at all? White jackets? Uh, I've seen her. Like, she has a long, dressy white one, I think. Yeah. And she has a long, dressy black one. Yeah. Those are the only two coats that I know. Like one, they sway in the wind as she walks. Do you recall around the, the 8th of uh, April then? Um, what you were doing that day? That Wednesday? I don't know what I was doing. I mean, I, for most of the time, I'm just in zipping around town or something. That's about it. About a month later, Terry Lynn changed her story. There's discussion, like, previous to the, the day of the event, with Mike saying, oh, would you ever, you know, would you ever kidnap somebody? Apparently, Michael and Terry Lynn had talked about kidnap kidnapping someone. They drove to an area near the school, and Tori was the first child they that they saw that day. Terry Lynn and Tori walked over to Michael's car together, which was about 300 meters up the street. They then drove on the highway, Michael in the driver's seat, and Terry Lynn and Tori in the back. Terry Lynn said she kept Tori hidden, and that they turned on the radio listening for any information about Tori being missing. They made a few stops. The first was at Tim Hortons. Terry Lynn ordered a tea. They then stopped at a gas station where Michael bought pills and took money out of an ATM. The final stop was to a Home Depot. Michael can be seen on surveillance parking towards the back of the store. He sent Terry Lynn inside to buy a claw hammer and trash bags. They then drove to a farmer's field in Mount Forest, Ontario. Terry Lynn said she walked away while Michael sexually assaulted Tori and killed her. 
At the police station, the police confronted Michael with Terry Lynn's story. Within hours of his arrest, Michael Rafferty was questioned again by police. And this time, investigators were armed with Terry Lynn McClintock's confession. Hey, stop. How are you? I understand uh, Blake here wanted to see what uh, Terry Lynn had to say. Mike, Terry Lynn's still speaking to my partner, okay? This is the girl you killed, all right? She's not missing anymore. She's dead. Terry Lynn was asked today if she wanted to call a lawyer four times. She said no, all four times. She went through two boxes of Kleenex, all right? She says on the 8th of April, Wednesday, the 8th of April, 2009, at 3.30 in the afternoon, you drop her off at Pavey, south of Fife, south of the public school, where Tori walks out of. And you tell her to get a girl, and you want her young. She walks up the street, you drive up to the old age home, and you park your car. She walks up to Tori. Tori's nice to her. She trusts her. She holds her hand for a little bit. She walks up the street with her. Terry Lynn tells her about her little dog gets her across the street to your car, opens the back door. Tori doesn't like it anymore. She pushes her in the car. You start driving. She says she's freaking out. She says she's worried about you. She's scared about what you're going to do. She says you guys hit the 401. You start driving to Guelph. You park outside the house. You go in for a little while. You come out with some drugs, she thinks. And you drive to the Home Depot. You park at the end of the parking lot. You tell her it's her time to return to get out of the car. You tell her to go in there. You give her some cash because you don't want to use your debit card so you don't track it. She goes in there. She gets garbage bags like she's told to do and she comes back out. Then you go driving. And you pull into a farmer's field right across from a house to the point where you're even asking her if anybody can see you. And what does she do? She says she goes for a walk because she doesn't want to see what happens. And then she goes back. And you're not sitting in the front seat anymore, Mike. You're sitting in the back seat. And she's not liking what she sees. So she walks away again. Then she comes back. And you make her hold one of those garbage bags while you put some of your clothes and her jacket and hammer in the garbage bag. Then you drive to a gas station. She never sees Tori again. You drive to that gas station, you get out, you wash up, you dump the bag. You drive back to Woodstock. Unlike McClintock, Rafferty would not confess. Terry Lynn's a liar. Michael calls Terry Lynn a liar, and at one point, both of them are brought into the same room where Michael again says Terry Lynn lied. Terry Lynn drew a map of where Tori's body was left, and Michael's phone records put them in the area where Tori was eventually found. On July 19, 2009, Tori's body was found. She was badly decomposed, and she had been only wearing a Hannah Montana t-shirt and, but and butterfly earrings. She was identified by her dental records. Tori's autopsy revealed that she had been killed due to blunt force trauma. She had injuries to her liver and broken ribs. She had also been hit repeatedly in the head with the claw hammer. Terry Lynn was charged with first-degree murder, and Michael was arrested for first-degree murder, sexual assault, causing bodily harm, and kidnapping. A little after a year later, Terry Lynn went on trial. She pleaded guilty to first-degree murder. She was sentenced to life without the or sorry, with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Weeks before Michael's trial began, Terry Lynn changed her story again. 
She said she had been the one to kill Tori and that Michael had only sexually assaulted Tori. Michael went on trial on May 5, 2012. On May 11th, he was found guilty on all charges. He was also sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Tori's family described Michael as smug and that he often checked himself out in the court. Michael was asked if he wanted to say anything before he was led away, and he told Tara that she should meet with him if she wanted to know the missing pieces of what happened to Tori. Tara said she met with Michael and that he told her what happened from the time they were in the car from school to when they went to the field. She said Michael had given Tori an iPod to listen to, but that was the only major detail she told Crime Beat. In October 2018, Terry Lynn was back in the news when she was transferred from a maximum security prison to a healing lodge in Saskatchewan. The lodge is a minimum slash medium security prison that is unfenced but monitored. This led to a protest led by Rodney, Tori's dad. They staged a protest at Parliament Hill and met with the Prime Minister. Less than a week later, Terry Lynn was sent back to a medium security prison. Information was also revealed about Michael. This shouldn't be a shock to many, but he did have a fetish with torture porn and was constantly looking at child porn on the internet. Michael would also fuck over his own mom. For years, Michael contacted his mom, Deborah Brown, from behind bars. He asked for money, and Deborah sent him around twenty to 30000 over the years. She had borrowed money from family members, and her family found money orders from people in Montreal and Quebec. Her family said she didn't know anyone in those areas. She didn't know anyone at all besides the people in her apartment building. Michael would ask for money for prison favors and buying items in the prison canteen. In August 2018, Deborah passed away from a heart attack. Her mother passed away not too long after. Michael's family believes that the pressures from him led to their deaths. Today, Tori's parents have no contact, but Tara praised Rodney for the work he has done to keep these monsters in prison. Tara has relapsed after Tori's death but went to treatment and is doing well. She has stayed out of the public eye and so has Darren. Darren has said this about his sister. My sister was the only person I had to talk to. Someone that felt what I felt, cried when I cried, laughed when I laughed. And now I feel alone, like the world is playing a sick trick on me, but it's not. This is my reality. Tori's case has led to improvements in Canada. They no longer need proof or of an abduction to put out an Amber Alert. In 2024, Terry Lynn can apply to be eligible for parole. In 2034, Michael can apply. I think both Terry Lynn and Michael are equally responsible and should never be let out, especially Michael. He has continued to be manipulative and evil from behind bars, and I believe he would do this again. My heart breaks for Tori's family. She was truly in the wrong place at the wrong time that day, and they have truly done so many amazing things to improve the justice system in Canada. Now for a lighter note, my book recommendation for this week is The Couple Upstairs by Shalini Boland. Summary. Our new home was supposed to be a chance to leave our past behind, but was moving here the worst mistake of our lives? All our friends and family were gathered, glasses raised to toast to our fresh start. It should have been night for happiness and celebration. Zach and I worked hard for this, our first home together, just minutes from the sea, but the dreams quickly turned into a nightmare. We'd invite our neighbors too. I wanted to make a good impression to show them we're exactly the sort of people they want living on their street. I hadn't thought about who they might be, the strangers I was letting in. It was going so well. There was laughter in the air and the wine was flowing, but then I noticed the narrowed eyes, the whispers, and the lights went out. As my heart thumped in my chest, all the little things that had been going wrong since we moved here flashed through my mind. The food poisoning, the arguments, the flood of nasty reviews 
shaking my business. Am I going crazy or is someone trying to destroy us? Review. This author is known for her twisty thrillers. This book did not disappoint. Nina and Zach, Nina especially, became, become very suspicious of their neighbors, especially after becoming ill after eating some cake that their neighbor has brought over. Nina almost becomes unhinged after trying to figure out if someone is going after her and trying to destroy her business or if she's just paranoid. It's a very fast, very fast-paced book and full of twists and turns. I give it an 8 out of 10. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram, rate, review, etc. I'll be back next week with a new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.